Good morning. Uh, this week I was in Los Angeles, um, beautiful LA. Anybody from LA? Yeah? Who is from LA? Oh, girl. Um, yeah, the, the weather was unbearably hot, which I was kind of surprised by, but we were inside most of the time. Um, we had our, we had our uh, national church committee meetings, and um, so the president-elect of Foursquare was there, and the general supervisor, and several of the other district supervisors. For, for those of you who don't know, we are part of an a organization called Foursquare, um, and it's, it's amazing, I have to say. I as I sat there, I was so humbled and so honored to be a part of this family. And I just strongly encourage you, if, if any of you are interested in finding out more about it, they do have a website. It's called Foursquare, spell out the word, foursquare.org. And you can really um, learn more about what the denomination believes, what our history is. Um, there's a lot of really great resources on there. We also have a, a website, too, called, and it's uh, www.theadventure.org. Dot church. So you can kind of find out what's going on here and, and what we're up to. You could also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I just, this, this week, you know, we're going through the book of Mark and we're going to take a little break and we're going into a series that David referenced called Contending for the Presence of God Through Prayer. And I know that sounds deeply spiritual and it might sound a little bit heady, but really what we're talking about is lifestyle spirituality, making our relationship with the Lord so palatable and, and sensing his presence. I heard there's a book title that I heard called, um, called Eternity is in Session Now, or Eternity is Now in Session. And I love that title because today we're going to be talking about three different groups, three different people that Jesus is, is dealing with. He's talking to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy and about their religiosity. Then he's talking to the crowds, which are the people who are kind of, kind of distant from God. They kind of know God, but they're not, they aren't intimately acquainted with him. And then he's talking to his disciples. And so our goal today is to move everyone toward being more of a disciple, being someone who is actually aware of the presence of God everywhere you go. And so we're going to start out, um, would you pray with me before we get into God's word? Again, I, I never want to just stand up here and waste your time. I do, every week I pray that you would have an encounter with the living God. And so that's, that's really what's on my heart again today. And I'm reminded of the significance and the importance of really understanding how deep his love is for you. Because that motivates everything. So, <sighs> Holy Father, we are... So deeply grateful for your goodness, Lord. I thank you that even nature cries out and calls out of your goodness and your power and your glory and your significance. And Lord, I thank you that you are unspeakably good. Lord, that you are unspeakably kind and loving and for us. And so today, God, as we enter into your word, I ask that each one of us, each person here and each person who would hear this message would grow deeper in their relationship with you. Jesus, we, we believe, Lord, that you have created us for purpose. 
And we want to know you more so that we can understand who we are as well. And we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. So today we're starting out uh, Mark chapter 7. We're going we're gonna to take a pretty big portion of it. It's verses 1 through 23. I'm going to be speaking out of the New Living Translation. Um, <clears throat> this doesn't really have to do chronologically with the stories that we just that we just um, studied the last couple of weeks. This is just kind of like once in the life of Jesus, boom, and this is the story. So um, verse, verse one, chapter seven, verse one. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, let me set this up. Okay, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, these are like the, the spiritual leaders of the day. They came all the way from Jerusalem to see Jesus where he was. It's estimated that it was between 90 and 100 miles, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us, except that you have to understand they did not have, I mean, they didn't take an Uber, you know, or they didn't take the front runner. They had to either walk or maybe take camels, but probably walk 100 miles just to harass Jesus. That's how committed they were to their cause. So these guys, they're starting to see that their, their uh, influence is starting to crumble. So it says they noticed that some of his, Jesus' disciples, failed to follow, now get this, the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So what's happening, I, um, I have the, the microphone. I was going to show you how they, how they did it, but they were very meticulous in how they did this hand washing. This had nothing to do with with cleanliness or hygiene or washing your hands before dinner so that you don't get germs because they didn't even understand any of that at the time. This was just a religious ceremony. I actually saw on YouTube, um, they have videos of how to do the ceremonial washing before you eat the bread. I mean, this guy went into, like, he's like, if you have a ring on, if it has a stone, set it on the side and then you have to do this. And so what they did was they would pour water over their cupped hands, and then they would do, they would like rub their hands this way and then this way and let the water run down their, to their elbows and then they would pour it over the other. It was this really meticulous thing, having nothing whatsoever to do with what it said in the Bible. This was actually in, they called it the oral law, the, the Mishnah, which was another writing. And, and so these guys were so into their rituals and their religious activities does this sound familiar at all? What Jesus, what Jesus really addresses here as he, well, it, let me finish reading this verse. It says, as Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus is just like, Jesus didn't have a lot of patience for religious people, I just have to say. Jesus did not rebuke the sinners. He didn't rebuke the down and outers. He rebuked the ones who thought they were greater than everyone else because of their religion. And so he just is like so done with them. And he turns to them, he goes, you hypocrites. 
You know, you always hear people, when you, when you hear people that, that aren't churchgoers or that aren't Christians or aren't spiritual or whatever, they, they cite the reason that they don't go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites, right? They're actually agreeing with Jesus because <laughs> Jesus is the one who, they really believe Jesus is the one who kind of came up with this concept. It's a hypocrites or hypocrites, I can't remember how to pronounce it. But anyway, but what it means is like an actor. What it means is it's someone who, is, who looks different on the outside from the inside. That, that on the inside, they have all kinds of other stuff going on, but on the outside, they look so holy and so spiritual. And Jesus is just like, you hypocrites. He's like, you are taking so much time to do these religious rituals. It says... Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, this is what Isaiah, back in chapter 29 of Isaiah in the Old Testament, he says, these people, these Pharisees and religious leaders, it says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. It says, they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Isn't that what religion does? Religion puts all these restrictions on you. Religion says all these things about what you can and can't do. If you want to be religious, you have to do this. You can't do this. You must do this. And it's all of these external things. And Jesus is just like, that's not the point. The title of my message today is Heart Issues. Anybody have heart issues? (laughs) And Jesus is just like, you guys, you're missing the whole point. And he goes on and he says, it says, you ignore God's law. Remember what God's law is? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love other people. That's God's law. That's the point. That is the main point. But these guys are like, oh, Jesus, why don't your disciples do what we do? Because we're holy. And Jesus is just like, you guys are just, you're such hypocrites. And then he says, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold out, hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. It's a good thing there's no teenagers in here right now. <laughs> they all come second service. They sleep in. <laughs> but here's the thing. It says, but you say it's all right for people to say their parents, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. He's talking about needy parents. In Israel, it's really common for, for the children to care for the needs of their elderly parents. As a matter of fact, they'll have a house which I really like this idea. I wish my kids would have done this. So they have a house, and then when they get married, they just build an addition to the house. And that's where the family lives. That's where the couple moves into and has their kids. Then when the next child gets married, they build another addition. So they have these, they're kind of like communes of just these families. So when the elderly parents couldn't take care of themselves, they didn't have nursing homes, they didn't have places for those people to go, but they, the, the children were supposed to care for the needs of their family, especially if the parents were, were uh, needy. And yet it says, they say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. This is called korban. It's, this, it's a vow, and it's just a way of getting out of having to help your parents. What korban, korban or korban, korban is, it's just a vow that you make, and it's, a, it's money that's set aside, 
that is devoted to God. But then what happens is they don't give it to their parents, but then they, they do these other things to weasel out of it. So it's really, it's a really evil thing. It says, I vowed to give this to God what I would have given to you. And in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. So you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. Here it is again. This is your own tradition. This is not what God's asking you to do. This is your own thing. And this is only one example of many others. This is only one example of many others. Okay, so now let's talk about the Pharisees a little bit. The Pharisees started out okay. They really started out, they really did want to do the right thing. But then they just started realizing they couldn't keep all these laws. They couldn't keep all the regulations. So they started making up other ones that would kind of kind of make it a little easier. But it's like they say that the Mishnah or the oral law is kind of like the fence around the law, that it kind of keeps it all contained. But they really did start out okay but then they began to get more and more religious. You know, I, I hate it when people say, oh, you're so religious. Because to me, that's kind of an insult. Because it just means that you're on the outside, you do one thing, but on the inside, you're something else. You're a hypocrite. You're an actor or actress or you're a phony. Um, I, one thing that I, I started thinking about this and the hand washing and all these ceremonies and everything and kind of watching these guys on YouTube, you know, doing their rituals and they're so meticulous about doing all those things. And I started thinking, you know, one of the reasons I really think people are so drawn to that is because it makes them feel righteous. You know, it's like that legalism makes people feel like I'm doing the right thing even though they know that inside they're not loving, they're not kind, they're not, you know, all of the things that God has called them to, but I think it makes people feel righteous and it makes them feel pious and kind of self-righteous. You know, they do all these good things on the outside. And so Jesus is addressing this. Um, I, I started thinking about what are some of the things that we do some of the little things that we have put on ourselves that are not necessarily from God. Anybody have any ideas of some things that religion has put on people? I mean, I remember years ago, in several denominations, several different churches, you couldn't dance for some reason. Because, I mean, the Bible's full of dancing. It's kind of crazy but they wouldn't let you dance. They wouldn't let you go to movies. I mean, there are some now you can't go to movies that are R-rated. And, you know, some people shouldn't go to R-rated movies. But you know what I mean? It's like there's these things that are imposed on us. You can't drink coffee or you can't drink alcohol. Now, remember, the Bible says you can drink, but you can't get drunk. And you know when you're drunk, Right? nudge the person next to you go, I know when you're drunk too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the Bible, I mean, the whole point here is it's about loving God. It's about having a relationship with a God who absolutely loves you. It's not about a bunch of other people telling you what you can and cannot do. You know, there's certain, there certain denominations, uh, you have to be a vegetarian. You can't eat meat. Well, what about the story about where they kill the fatted calf? I mean, I don't believe that calf was made out of vegetables. 
I'm pretty sure it was meat. You know, and then there's some people that they do, you know, they do their religious rituals and then it's not enough for them to do it. They, well, I'm wearing the name tag. They expect everyone else to do these religious rituals too. It's not enough for them to, to just do it unto God. They demand that other people do it because it makes them feel superior. It makes them feel like, I'm holier than everyone else. It's the spirit of the Pharisee. And Jesus, I have to say, he was vehemently opposed to them. He Actually, the New Testament uses the word hypocrite 23 times, and, and it's always used by Jesus. And 21 of those times, he's using it to talk to the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, the people that everyone looked to as the ones who should be leading. So Jesus was like, nope, I am not about that. That is not what I came for. So then it says, um, oh, I was going to bring up another, another thing. You know how some, some denominations think you can only read the King James Bible? You've heard that? There's even the King James only religion, which when you, really when you break it down, and I'm not trying to be critical, but it's just the King James Bible was written in the early 1600s. They don't speak the way we speak today. It makes it harder. It's kind of like almost a barrier from being able to understand what the Bible says. I think the best thing to do is read a lot of different versions of the Bible and get an understanding. I mean, you know, we often talk about the whole counsel of God. You talk about the, the entirety of what God wants to say, and it's more the spirit of what the Bible is saying than it is, well, you have to do it in these and those. It's like, that's just a religious thing that someone puts on them. And so Jesus is like, he's really wanting to protect people from these religious leaders. And this is one reason they're so ticked with him. So it says, Jesus called the crowd to come in here after he's had this encounter. And he says, all of you listen and try to understand. It's not about what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Some versions add verse 16, which says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And I want to say that right now. If you have ears to hear, listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's not about the externals. It's not about the things on the outside. It's not about you trying to even clean up your act. It's about your heart. We all come to God with heart issues. We all come to God with hearts that need to be healed. Every single one of us. And Jesus is going to go on and tell us about this. It says, he went into the house to get away from the crowd. So, he, so he's talking to the Pharisees first, and he's, and he's addressing their error. And then it's saying, um, sorry, let me, verse 17. It says, then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. Okay, so now there's the Pharisees who are the religious leaders. They're far from God. Then there's the crowd. They're the guys, they're kind of curious about Jesus. They kind of want the things of God, but they're not really disciples. And what the Lord is calling us as the Adventure Church to become are disciples not just people that come and do this religious thing on a Sunday morning or serve God or serve other people. It's to go deep. And that's why we're going into that next series about what does it really mean to walk in the spirit? What does it really mean to, to be 
fully aware of his presence at all times, not just when you come to church on Sunday and we worship, but really to live in step with the Spirit of God. So Jesus is getting away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable that he had just used. He says, don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Okay, again, so the the religious leaders are telling them, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't eat this, you should eat this, you can't eat this, you can't eat this. All of these restrictions. And basically, Jesus is coming in and obliterating this and just going, you guys are missing the point. It says, food doesn't go into your heart. But it only, now get this, this is a reference It's kind of gross, but he says, it doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach and then it goes out into the sewer. So basically what Jesus is saying is these religious activities are just poo. (laughs) Poop emoji insert right there. (laughs) Jesus is like, you know what, you guys, that's just a bunch of crap. You know, you're your phoniness, your hypocrisy, you're trying to weigh people down with these rules. He's just like, that's all a bunch of just trash. It's excrement. It's garbage. That's not what, G- what, what the Lord is about. That's not what I came for. It says, it says, by saying this, he declared every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes, contrary to what the Jewish laws had said. And then he said, then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart. Okay, now this this verse applies to every single person in this room, including me. These are the heart issues that I'm talking about. Everything about religion wants to say, I'm okay. I'm doing these things and this makes me okay. Years ago, there was a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. We, made, we said we were going to write the sequel called I'm Five, You're Five because we felt like we were just like little kids. But everything about religion wants to say, I'm okay, I'm a good person. And we compare ourselves with other people, don't we? Say, well, at least I've never done that to make ourselves feel better. But this is what Jesus is. This is the reality of it. This is kind of the, the, the bummer part of it because this is what is every single person in humanity. It says, this is what comes out. Evil thoughts. Has anybody in here ever had an evil thought? Ah, oh, 12 of you. The rest of you have never thought anything evil. <laughs> How about sexual immorality? Anybody ever? Yeah, yeah, a few of you are honest. Theft. Some of you are like, well, I've never stolen anything. How about when you leave work early? Or, you know, you go on Instagram at work instead of doing your work, you know? How about murder? Go back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you've ever been angry with your brother, that's just like the sin of murder. Anybody here? Adultery. You may not have cheated on your spouse, but if you've ever lusted after someone else, that's considered adultery. Greed. Anybody here greedy? 
How about wickedness? Just basic wickedness. <laughs> yep. Deceit. Anybody ever been deceptive? Anybody lie this week? Anybody lying now? <laughs> Lustful desires. Envy. I don't like the word envy here because really what this means is kind of like, do you know the Hawaiian term stink eye? You know when someone gives you stink eye? Like it's just like a, it's like a disdainful look. Like you are just so, it's like a, kind of like a judgment. Although envy, slander. Anybody gossip recently? I want to talk about this for a second. You know, gossip, sometimes we can couch evil motives in the way we speak about other people. And here's the thing. Jesus knows exactly what your motivation is. When you make that little side comment about someone, that little disparaging comment, maybe it's somebody you're jealous of and you're kind of trying to make them seem a little less so you seem a little better. Jesus knows our motivation. He's saying this is what's in your heart. Pride. Anybody? Pride. Foolishness. Basic foolishness. That's rebellion. That's basically rebellion. So James 4.17 says, if you know what's right and you don't do it, that's sin. That's foolishness. Anybody? It says, all these vile things come from within you. They are what defile you. Now, if this was the end of the story, that would really suck. <laughs> but thanks be to God. We talked about the blood. The whole thing, the whole point is that Jesus wants us to be friends with him. And I don't mean to say that in any, he is a holy God, he is almighty, he's the creator, he is righteous. But ultimately he says, you know, I, I, I used to call you servants, but now I call you friends. That is the goal of discipleship. What a disciple is, is somebody who wants to be like the other person and not just to act like them, but to think like them. Jesus's goal is that we would come to terms with the fact that, you know what, I have heart issues. I have evil thoughts. I have jealousies. I have wickedness. I have envy. I have greed. I have theft. I have adultery. I have all these things in my heart. These are heart issues. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I was, I was so self-righteous. Right, Pete? Pete knew me then. I was so self-righteous. I just thought I was like so holy. And I had gone from like this completely lawless, rebellious, crazy, wild life to, you know, coming over, the pendulum swung way too far the other way. And so then I became judgmental of everybody else. And I remember the first time that I started to read the book of Romans. If you ever think that you have it together and you're, and you're a, a, quote, good person, just read Romans. And I remember wrestling with that. Like, I am a good person. I'm a good person. I wanted so much to think that all of the religious activities I was doing made me good. But Jesus is saying, no, you have these heart issues, and the only way these can be healed 
is through becoming his disciple. You know, behavior modification doesn't work. Anybody know that? That'll never set you free. Behavior modification doesn't change anybody's heart. All it does is washes the outside of the cup. And that's not what Jesus came for. He came for relationship with him. He came not just so that we could have this God that we're trying to appease. I'm reading this great book right now. It's called With. A friend of mine recommended it. And it's, it talks about the four ways that we, that we mistakenly relate to God. One of them is living over God. Like, I don't really need God. I'm good on my own. The other way is living under God. Like, oh, I'm so afraid I have to appease him. I have to do all these things or he's going to curse me or whatever. Then there's living from God. That's kind of like the prosperity doctrine. Like, you know, if I give, then God's going to give back. And it's kind of rooted in false motives. And then there's living for God, which, is, which sounds good, but it's kind of more religiously motivated. And it's where you just give yourself fully to the things of God, but with the wrong heart. And ultimately, the, the whole point of this book, the title is With, is that God wants to live with us, that he wants to have that relationship. He wants us to, to have his heart. He wants to replace our hearts with his heart. And that's the whole point. It's that he's saying, you know, out of these things come, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, all of these things. But he's saying, I want to set you free from that. I don't want you to have to try to clean up the, the outside of the cup. I, I want to have that relationship where I can live through you. Is this hopeful for you? Because if we're stuck on our own trying to clean up ourselves, trying to get ourselves right with God, we are hopeless and helpless. Because we can't. We can't. You know, I remember when I, when I first, um, I used to be, a bulimic, and I remember when I first tried to quit, and I, I couldn't do it. It wasn't until I came to the Lord. It wasn't until he changed my heart. He changed my thoughts. You know, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We can have the mind of Christ. We can think the thoughts of Christ, and you know, again, we can't really do that unless we really know what he says about himself, about what he says in the Bible, and I'm not saying this for shame. You know, it's not to shame anybody, but I was talking with somebody this last week about spending time reading the Bible and how the enemy and the forces of hell will do whatever they can to keep us from reading the Bible because it is the thing that will set us free. It is a thing that will change us and make us more and more like him. Um, he's not, God's not so concerned about the outward. He is concerned about what is motivating us. He's concerned about changing us from the inside out. And that is why he gave his son on the cross. That we can have that relationship with him. That we can walk forgiven. We can walk in the presence of God at all times. Again, eternity is now. It's now in session. Eternity doesn't start when we die. It starts right now in having the mind of Christ. And there's nothing more important to the, to the Lord 
than that. And I know this probably seems really simplistic, but you know, when people ask me, what is your vision? It's like, my vision is that people would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they would love each other. That's my vision for this church, is that we would really do it, that we would really be disciples, that we would really want the things of God. We wouldn't, that we wouldn't try to earn our salvation through doing stuff, just doing stuff. And of course, we, if we really love him, we're going to do stuff, right? That's our response to him. So what I'd like to do in the last few minutes here, I would really like for us to just take a couple of minutes right now and invite the presence of the Lord in and invite him to show you how he sees you. Now, if you have thoughts that are shame-filled or thoughts of unworthiness or thoughts that you're, you're not good enough or thoughts like that, let me just tell you that's not coming from him. He created you to have a relationship with you. I want to read you this passage. Um, actually, it's in Psalm 51. It's a prayer. Art, can you come up and play? It says, give me back my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. You know, hearing what Jesus says about the condition of our heart It's hard to hear that because we don't want to believe that about ourselves. But he's saying, you give me my joy again. Let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. So it's possible to have our heart issues healed that he would create a clean heart, renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Forgive me for shedding blood. I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. The sacrifice you desire, Lord, is a broken spirit. You won't reject those of us who are broken and repentant. Lord, we just come into your presence right now. Jesus, we want to we get it. We want to know the point. The point is to live fully in love with you, Lord, walking in your presence, hearing your voice, knowing that your thoughts toward us are thoughts of love, thoughts of hope, thoughts of deliverance and healing. And Lord, you want to increase our faith. You want us to know your goodness. Lord, show us how you see us. Jesus, you know us. You know that our hearts are filled with these things. 
these things that defile us, Lord, the, the choices that we make. And yet, your grace, you pour out your grace, Lord. God, we don't just need your grace when we sin. We need your grace all the time. Lord, and we just thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you gave your only son that we could be reconciled with you, that, that we could lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, that we could walk in hope. Lord, that you have not forsaken us. You have not forgotten us. You know the condition of our hearts, Lord. You know our pain and you know our brokenness. And yet, you want to restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord, not just that we're going to go to heaven, but Lord, that we can walk with you today. We can live for you today. Lord, we don't just add you onto our lives, but you can become our life. And God, that's my prayer for each and every person here, including myself. Lord, we want to live for you.